We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and just picking up where we left off, the sixth chapter, we, we started talking about the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the Lord says, this then is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. All right, let's stand together and let's read this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Righteous Father, our Holy Father, we come with, uh, with full lives, full hearts, and we're in awe of you. Your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We come thankful. Thankful for Jesus. Thankful for the power of your word. Thankful for how you minister to us every moment of every day. Thankful for lives that have been touched by your Holy Spirit changed by your glory and useful now for the kingdom of God. We pray, Lord, as we share together on this this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that we might be drawn ever closer, ever closer to you. This is our heart and this is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to give you two reasons why we're looking at the Lord's Prayer this morning. Um, First of all, um, every year I start the year with prayer and talk about prayer. And, uh, and I've been doing that for every year that I've been here. That the first uh, sermons of the year are on prayer. And except last year. Except last year. And uh, so uh, secondly... And this has to do with the culture that we're in and who we are as, uh, as people. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, we were told by all the experts, uh, religion is the way scientifically, psychologically, for immature people to deal with the world and adapt to their environment. And as we mature, religion fades away. As we get smarter, religion, all these things that we use as crutches, is what our culture would say, kind of fades away. Of course, we know that they're wrong, no, we? We know, we know that they're wrong. There is, there is in the human heart just a deep desire for the Lord, a deep desire for God. I don't care who you are. God put it there. God put it in our hearts, in our lives a desire to know him, a desire to connect with that which is infinite, the infinite God. 
And here, in this passage of Scripture, we have the most influential leader in the history of the world, religious leader, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was asked the question, how do we, how do we connect with God? How do we pray? And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. As I already mentioned, one of the problems for those of us who are in the church, we've been raised in the church, is that it's so familiar to us. The key to connecting to God that's given to us by Jesus himself is so common. We say these words over and over and over. So we don't really hear it, we don't smell it, we don't taste it. We have to continually remind ourselves of what it means. Uh, So today we're at the place where Jesus says, when you connect with God, when you pray, pray this way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, and we said this last week, Jesus is saying to us, let your will happen. Cause your will to happen which is more radical than it might first appear. It's more radical. It's not like like praying, Lord, make it possible for me to follow all the rules. It's beyond that. Above that. Thomas Watson, who was a 17th century writer and theologian, put it, I think, in a very frightening way when he talks about this passage of Scripture. He said, when you pray, thy will be done. Jesus is telling you to pray two things. First of all, pray that you might be able to do all that he commands you to do. And secondly, that you submit patiently to all he inflicts. Think about that. The reason... Thy will be done comes before give us this day our daily bread is to show that the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer as Jesus gives it to us is not that we would bend God's will to ours, but that we would bend our will and surrender ourselves to him. Jesus is saying for at least in part that before you ask for anything, right? You need to put your heart, you need to put your mind like metal into the fire. Put your heart into the fiery furnace of God's love and the word of God's truth until it can be shaped into the same shape as God's will. So the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer is to say, your will be done. Your will be done. John Wesley, and I love this prayer that he prayed, and he prayed it, as I understand, uh, all the time. He would almost pray it daily, and this is how it went. He said, I am no longer my own, but yours. Do with me what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I yield all things to your pleasure, to your disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. 
so be it. So be it. And the covenant that I've made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Now I need to tell you something here. That's our worst nightmare. (laughs) That's our worst nightmare. More than anyone else in the history, people today, Americans, we believe that we ought to have a good life. We believe that. We ought to have a good life. But that's not how people have thought historically. Today, people think we should have some control over our lives. That's a very modern notion. Because the world hasn't thought like that before. Because of that, your will be done stuff falls on deaf ears. Come on, come on. Your will be done? What about my will? What about what I want? What about my life? Your will be done. Your will be done. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Really? Really? Let me suffer. Let me prosper. Use me or lay me aside. I don't care. I put myself at your disposal. I'm not my own anymore. You're mine now and I'm yours. You see it, right? You see it? At the heart of the Lord's Prayer, there's this inside outness of the gospel. There's this upside downness of the gospel and what it's saying to us. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after blessedness, does he? No. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Righteousness. The Bible says the way to find yourself, the way to find happiness is to never seek yourself, Never seek for your happiness, but to seek God. Seek God's righteousness. To stand in His presence. To see His face. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, if you say your will, before you say, give me, and that's what it says, that's the way it goes here, You've satisfied God's heart and you've satisfied your heart. If you say, give me, before you say, thy will be done, you've satisfied neither God's heart or your heart. So what's the Lord's Prayer? What's the Bible tell us about where, why, and how we're supposed to pray, thy will be done? First of all, the where, all right? It happens to me, I'm sure it happens to you in your life, in your prayer life, from what I can tell and how we think about things. When we pray, we breathe and we tend to separate. As we even read that, we separated the Word of God. Have you noticed? So we say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and we take a breath. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we take a breath. Give us this day. That's okay. That's okay, but those two things are linked together in Scripture. Thy will and give us are linked together. 
They're part of the same phrase in the Greek. They stand or they fall together. They intensify, they de-intensify the crescendo and decrescendo together. Daily bread, what is that anyway? Daily bread is the things that you feel you need. We're not, we're not talking about just you know, food here. Daily bread is the things that you think you need for your life. If those things are not happening, life isn't going well, right? If those things that I think I need are not happening, life's not going well at all. God seems to be inflicting you. That's one place where you pray, not the only place, but that's one place you pray, Father, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Uh, In preparing for this, I read an interesting article about temperaments. Some time ago, there was a big deal about temperaments, the temperaments that we all have, you know, and uh, they were showing uh, that, that, that parenting needs to be different than what we thought, you know. And that was what the article was. It was a, it was a current article about this. And, and this is essentially what it said, which we already knew. It says there's been research across 36 cultures, a cross-cultural study. And they're realizing there's such a thing as temperament and neurochemistry that wires children, and all of us really, it wires all of us, towards certain habitual ways of dealing with situations. You know, it's like we say, well, that's just who I am. That's just who I am. I heard that. No, that's the way I am. Well, stop it. You know, you're annoying. (laughs) Stop it. So, So everyone knows that there at least, and there's more than this, but there's at least three different types of temperaments. They have different names. There are the anxious types, people that are very anxious. There are the aggressive people, those individuals. And there's the phlegmatic individuals, the laid back type of individuals. So the anxious types, when they run into trouble, you know what they say? I knew it. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. You know, the aggressive types, they're the types that look at it and say, well, let's go get them before they get us. You know? The phlegmatic types say, well, that's life. That's the way it is. Say la vie, que sera, sera, whatever it may be, may be. The future is not, it is what it is, you know. Uh, don't get bent out of shape by these kinds of things. And then the article went on to talk about these three. And the article said that the problem is that a given temperament, now listen to this, and this makes perfect sense, and something we already knew. That a given temperament is only a wise response in a limited range of situations. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that sometimes the smartest response is an anxious one. Sometimes the best response is an aggressive one. Sometimes phlegmatic, right? So here's the news. And this is what they were saying about raising of our children. They said for the last 30 and 40 years, parents have thought the most important thing that they could do with their children. We're told by the experts who are now changing their minds. Don't impose anything on your children. That's what we thought. Don't impose anything on your children. They have to find out who they are, search for themselves. They have their own gifts. They have their own self. And don't don't do that. But now child psychiatrists 
uh, are saying, the worst thing parents can do is to completely let their kids always do what comes naturally. That's the worst thing you can do. Why? Why? Why are they saying that? The only way they're going to make it in life, this is a rough world out here as you, as you grow and learn. The only way you're going to make it in life is to be wise to the degree you can get them out of their temperaments so that they're able to learn skills and able to learn differently, learn responses that are not natural to them. Because that's what they're going to face in this world. So you have to intervene as a parent in the life of the child and press the child to do and go against his grain or her grain. In other words, you have to teach aggressive people sometimes they're to blame. You have to teach the pessimistic people that they have hope, that there's hope. You have to teach the perpetually sunny, happy people that sometimes there's danger out there, right? And so on and so forth. You have to learn the different things that happen in life. So they're saying, here's here's the thing is, they're saying that parenting is an intervention. It's an intervention in the life of the child. It's pushing. Parenting is going against the desires of that child. And we say, well, I don't like that. I don't, like, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. You know, I don't want to ever make my child cry. Little Egbert. I don't want Egbert to cry. I don't want to say, this doesn't seem natural to you, but you have to do it. I don't want to say that. Why is that? Now, why is that? Well, we've been taught that. I mean, that's what child psychiatrists have been telling us for years. I'll tell you why. It's hard. Because, and you know this, because your heart is bound up with your child. Think about it. Your heart is bound up with your child. Their distress is your distress. Their hurt is your hurt. But you realize, right, when you parse this out and you really begin to dig down and and drill down into this just a little bit, you realize that it's a selfish thing to say. I love my child too much to make him cry. I love them too much to push them against their grain. Actually, when you say that, that's selfish. That's selfish. What you're saying is, I really love the love that I'm getting from this child. They like me, they love me more than I. Uh, I'll give you an example, real quick. You know, this busy street out here, Andy's got, yeah, Andy lives right over here, he's in this home over here. So a uh, little uh, Riker or whoever comes to say, Dad, we're going we're gonna to go out and play in the street. Oh, good idea. Is that what you want to do? That's what I want. I mean, that's some stream, but, but that's how we get going. Yeah, yeah, go play in the street. No, we don't do that. We push against them, and they're angry at us because they want to do that. Why are they angry? Why, why do we let them do that? Because we value their love. We don't want them to be angry at us as parents, as people. 
We value their love. Listen, we have a Father. Think about this. I mean, just biblically. We have a Father in heaven who's perfect. A Father who we're told in Isaiah 63 that when we're distressed, He's distressed. He's the perfect Father. Nevertheless, He doesn't just love what we give Him. He loves us and He will put us in situations where it seems like we're not getting our daily bread. We're not getting what we want. And it seems He's going against the grain of our lives. What's happening is God is pushing us beyond ourselves. And we've all had this happen to us in our lives. Trying to deepen, trying to expand our nature and our character for the future things that are coming in life. That's the reason why before your will is done, is said in Scripture, comes our Father. Our Father. Our Father. We're children. Children don't always understand. See, Jesus doesn't start the prayer with, your will be done. He starts the prayer with, Father. Think about how this flows. You realize who you are. You have a father. You have a father, a heavenly father. So first of all, he's saying, especially when things are going poorly, especially when the father seems to be putting you in situations or your life in situations that go against your grain, against the things you feel you need. And life is hard. Especially pray there. Thy will be done. Especially there. Thy will be done. Because if you try to bend a piece of metal into shape, it ought to be. But you haven't heated that metal, right? You may break it, or you may break you. You may break you. When the circumstances of life are that the most difficult pounding that you're taking, you're going through a difficult time, unless you put yourself in the fire, unless you learn to pray, thy will be done, it will make you bitter, and you'll never learn the responses your father wants you to learn. He's your father. He's your father. And he wants you to learn some things. And he wants you to become the deep, rich, wise person that he has planned for you all along. Somebody said, well, okay, okay. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? So we've seen what we have to pray. You know, your will be done. Where, everywhere, everywhere, and specifically in those difficult times. Uh, but how? How do we do it? A couple of things. First, when you come before the Father, listen to me, treat him as a person, not an object. Treat him as a person, not an object. And let me tell you something about marriage. And I have to say this from a husband's point of view, that's the only point of view I've ever had. If your wife says to you, now Valentine's Day is coming up, pay attention. And I'm, and I'm certainly not the model here. 
If your wife says to you, do you love me? And you say, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 I love you. And then she says, why? Drop the phone, back up the truck, stop right there, think about what you're going to say, why do you love me? And you start, in your mind, you're going through this list of things, right? Think of what, you know, what, what should I say, you know? You're a great mom, you know, you're, you're a great organizer, you've got great insights, you know, you drive the car well, uh, <laughs> you, you, you keep a nice house, you're amazing in the, where you're at work, in the business world, you're, you, you, whatever you want to say, a good cook, whatever your, your wife's particular gifts are, right? But if that's all you say, you're treating her as a commodity, as an object, you see, those, those responses are kind of all about me. I love you because you're so serviceable to me. You do this and you take care of that, so I don't have to do those things. You're doing all these things. And to avoid that, to avoid that, you have to get inside and you have to discover what are her hopes, what are her dreams for her life. What does she fear? You know, you have to find out what her will is in life. And that's how people want to be treated, right? That's how people, that's how we want to treat each other. That's how we want to be treated. That's how people treat somebody as a person, but in God. In God. We just don't have a person. We have an ultimate person. An ultimate person. If you say, honey, I love you because you're so serviceable to me, that's not love. That's not love. Do you know what love is? Honey, I love you. Not for what you give me, but just for who you are. When you go through difficult times in your marriage, stressful times in your marriage, that helps you and that helps her get through the tough times when she can't. She can't, and he can't. And we all have those times in our life. We can't. And if we have to go to our spouses like that, how much more to the great transcendent God? How much more to God Almighty? If you don't pray, thy will be done. If you don't say, Lord, I want to know what makes you happy. I want to know what makes you upset. I want you just for who you are. My God, not for what you can give me to help me reach my agenda of my life. 
but just for who you are, if you can't say, thy will be done, then you can't say, I love you. Really. You can't say, I love you. Jacob learned that. Remember in the Old Testament, one of the strangest stories in the Bible, in Genesis 32. Jacob spent the night of his life, he was a liar, he was a cheat. He, uh, he always wanted to get stuff. He wanted for his, he said, whatever I can do to get what I want from it. And he was never happy about that. He wasn't happy about his life was going, never getting the wife he wanted, the career he wanted, nothing was going right. Always fighting with everybody around him, a gnarly kind of a guy, fighting with his father, fighting with his uncle, always unhappy. And one night he's at, you know the story, he's out in the desert and the mysterious stranger pounces on him and they begin to wrestle. And they wrestle long into the night. Hours go by. And the text says that at one point, Jacob realized whom he was wrestling. And suddenly his whole life flashes before his eyes, right? And he realizes that all these years, he had not really been fighting his father. He hadn't been fighting his brother and his uncle. He'd been fighting with God. He'd been fighting with God. He was in the ultimate dream. The ultimate dream. And now he had the opportunity to pin God. Finally, I got God. I'm wrestling with God. And I'm going to get what I deserve. I'm going to get what I deserve. The blessing that I've always wanted, right? That's how most people look at prayer. That's how they look at prayer. The opportunity to pin God. You know, I go to prayer, I say, you know, I've been a pretty good guy all my life. Haven't done anything terribly wrong. So uh, I've said no to all kinds of temptations. I could have succumbed, but I didn't. And I, I, was, I was good. I've been a Christian for over 20 years. I've been to church. Some people don't go to church. I went to church. So give me this day my daily bread. Give me. Give me. My will be done. Look at how good I've been. Look at how good I've been. Look at what I've done. Look at what the energy I've put in. Jacob thinks, I have the possibility of pinning God. So he wrestles harder than ever. And finally, the stranger shows him that he hasn't really been using hardly any power at all in the fight that they're going through. And he reaches out, he stretches out, and he touches Jacob's thigh. And his thigh goes dead. And Jacob is permanently crippled. And Jacob realizes he can't wrestle God into submission to doing his will. But he doesn't let go. This is what I like about it. He doesn't let go of God. A change happens in him, an ultimate change, a forever change. Now he's blind, he's got tears coming in his eyes, he's absolutely lame, and he's holding on, because that's all he can do. And you know what he says now? He says, bless me. I want to see your face. And God says, when the sun comes up, you'll see my face, but you can't. You can't. See, it wasn't about Jacob anymore at that point. It wasn't about Jacob not about his wants. It wasn't about Jacob anymore. God says, no, you can't see my face because it might kill you, but today I will give you a new name. 
because you have been finally changed. A new name means you're born again. You're born again. You used to call me Jacob. Now call me Israel. Israel. You know why? Because Israel means you've wrestled with God and you've triumphed. You've won. You've wrestled with God and you've triumphed. You say, what triumph? What triumph? Guy's lame the rest of his life. He's lame. He's crippled the rest of his life. How is that winning? The point is, the point is, Jacob finally figured out what his life was all about. Life is not about getting things from God. It's about getting God. It's about getting God. Not things from God. And he finally realized, all I really need is God. And at the end, he says, I just want you. And if I have you, I have everything. I have daily bread. I have all this. You, know, you see, when Jesus says, pray thy will be done, what Jesus, what God is saying to you, and to my, I, I don't want you to seek things. I want you to seek me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and what? All these things. Seek ye first all these things will be added. I want you, God. Don't, don't primarily in your prayers be asking for things. I want you to ask for me. Ask for me. That I'd be there with you, for you. Your, my presence in your life, in the activities of your life. If you can't, just have him. And it, but if you get him, all these other things are gravy. <laughs> you know, we had good gravy yesterday, Dan. All these other things are gravy. They're gravy. Now you've won. Now you've won. So today he's waiting to hear that. You know, your prayers. Which, how you pray. He's waiting to hear that. You, you take a look at the things that are going wrong in your life. Uh, maybe you've been going, making a, a, a run around that I will be done. Not even thinking about what that means. It means, Lord, if I get nothing else, if I get nothing else, and if I have you, that's enough. That's enough. I want you. I want you. And that's what my prayer is. That's what my prayer is. Someone says, well, that's really hard to do. Well, let me tell you something. All along, and we've been looking at this prayer, I've been saying the way to do it is you, you have to put your heart in the furnace. You have to put your heart in the furnace. You have to let the furnace melt you down. You know what the furnace is? I'll tell you. There was somebody besides Jacob who wrestled with God in Scripture. Jesus on the night before he went to die wrestled with God, his father. 
He was in the garden in prayer, and Jesus looked deeply at the Father's cup that he was offering him, and he was terrified. He was terrified. He saw something coming. There's something coming here, and he's looking in the cup. All the horrors that have occurred since the beginning of time were just a dim reflection of what Jesus saw coming down on him. The wrath of God against sin. The wrath of God against sin. Everything in his human flesh wanted to run from what was coming. Everything in his spirit groaned at the greater spiritual torture of being forsaken by the Father. And Jesus cries out, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, see, he gave us this prayer, and now he lives this prayer. He lives this prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. Seven words, seven words, seven words that can change your life, your prayers. Seven words. And no one understands better, listen to me, no one understands better than Jesus how difficult it can be for you to embrace the will of God. No human being has suffered more embracing the will of God than God's Son. Nobody. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, whatever the cost, he's not calling us to do something that he is unwilling to do himself or that he's never done before. Because he submitted and because he surrendered to God, he won through losing, just like Jacob. And then when he surrendered to the will of the Father, he went out to fight the real enemy, which was sin and death. You see? You see? Submitting to his Father, he won. If you're wrestling with God because you're wanting to say, my will be done. I want what I want. I want my will be done. You have to do what Jacob did. You're going to get lame. It might hurt. You might go through some pain. But that's okay because that taught him to say, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And he learned if I have him, I have everything. If you say, Thy will be done, you're free. You really are. You're just free. You're free. Look at what he did for you. Look at him wrestling on the cross for you. Look at the sacrifice that he made. Look at what's bearing down on him. And he says, thy will be done. And as you focus on that, you say, Lord, if you were able to say under those circumstances, thy will be done, then I can say it in my circumstances. If you can say it there, with all that coming down on your heart and your life, I can say it in my circumstances. So this morning... This morning, we join our Lord in praying, Father, your will be done. Amen.